0: Silicon Valley is just going through adolescence. We are not a mature adult. Uh, we have not realized our responsibility. Our Literally our, quote, body is changing. We're developing into an adult. We're realizing that our behaviors impact other people.
1: This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co-hosts, and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world.
2: Hi everyone, it's Tina, co-host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast with Simone Cicero. Today, we're speaking to Jeremiah Ouyang, Co-founder of the San Francisco-based research firm Kaleido Insights, where he focuses on how new technologies impact business models and how disruptive technologies such as social media, collaborative economy, autonomous world, blockchain and more impact the relevance of corporations. Jeremiah is well recognized by both the tech industry and the media for his grounded approach to delivering insights through rigorous research, and is frequently quoted in top-tier publications. He's given a TED talk, he was featured in the "Who's Who in the Silicon Valley Business Journal, and his Twitter feed was named as one of the top feeds by Time. He is also the founder of Crowd Companies, an innovation club for Fortune 500 companies. In our conversation with Jeremiah, We explore some of the pre-existing conditions in the world, always through a tech lens, that have been amplified by the pandemic and other recent disruptive events, leading to some sort of awakening in Silicon Valley about the moral duties of tech companies, and more in general, what companies are actually supposed to produce for the world. As health and safety take precedence in society, ambient computing is set to produce solutions for self-cleaning surfaces, while our habits are set to deeply rewire in things from how we travel to how we greet each other. At the same time, localization of supply chains appears slow, especially for tech, and climate regretfully seems to have been down-prioritized in the current moment. We really enjoyed this earnest conversation with Jeremiah O'Young, calling in from a turbulent time in the US. On July 23rd, Boundless is hosting a free one-day online event, re-inviting all our podcast guests to participate in a sense-making session. To book your spot and learn how to support this work, please go to www.platformdesigntoolkit.com and click on the tab Thinking to find the event page. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, super excited today. I'm here with uh, my usual uh, co host, Stina Hekila. Hello, everybody. And we have a very special guest, uh, Jeremiah Oviang. Hi, Simone. Hi, Stina. Hello, man. That's great to have you. Uh, we were really looking forward to to have this conversation with you. Um, and uh, uh, today I'm also recording from uh, outside. So uh, apologies to our listeners if they will hear some uh, strange noise in the background for today and maybe some pigeon uh, in the background. So let's uh, have fun and explore, you know, your insights uh, uh, about, uh, um, you know, Basically, what is coming up? I think you're really doing an incredible job with uh, Kaleido uh, Insights, uh, with the research firm that you co-founded, if I'm not wrong, right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, And uh, you guys are researching... across many aspects, let's say, of consumer behavior, and also, you know, engaging with how companies respond to these changes. And I particularly appreciated uh, your work uh, with regards to exploring the impacts of the COVID uh, outbreak, you know, because, you know, today we cannot talk about anything without uh, uh, considering what's up uh, recently with these uh, a pandemic and, and so my question for you as a start uh, for as a starter let's say for this conversation mm-hmm. uh, is to really look into what you you guys are perceiving in terms of uh, structural changes in in uh, consumer behaviors uh, and uh, how these can impact essentially the shape of the businesses to come uh, and also adding a nuance that uh, that I would like to explore which is it's For sure, COVID has been uh, accelerating some changes, but uh, to some extent, and to what extent in your point of view, these changes were structural changes that are just accelerated by the COVID, but more, much more long-term and much more solid uh, changes that we can expect in the future.
0: I think that's a wonderful um, question, and hello, everybody from Silicon Valley. I am um, so pleased to be here and connected with you all. So we... Any issue that we see today from COVID-19 is just amplifying the challenges that were already there. But but let's take a look at Maslow's pyramid. Uh, Many people were focused on the upper echelons, many were not. Uh, But essentially, when COVID-19 struck, nearly everybody was slammed down to the bottom two layers. Physiological needs and safety and security, and we were struggling to get food and find medicine and locked into our homes and and our income might have stopped and uh, so we all went down to the bottom of the pyramid. Many individuals have climbed out of those bottom rungs and life is returning towards a, a common normal that they remember from the past, but the the world has changed. So even with the the health issues that have um, Arose certainly there are um, this is a new novel right virus but those that were already afflicted with health challenges they might have been overweight or they might have been elderly or they just didn't have health care or they might have been impoverished those were existing conditions that were just amplified so I love your question and I'm thinking that this is just creating multiplications on what was already a challenge.
1: And uh, uh, so so, so uh, I would say um, in this case, should we look into the COVID um, uh, outbreak as I I don't want to say as an opportunity, but uh, as an opportunity for our firms to really, you know, basically take the choices and in terms of both the business model, innovation, organizational uh, forms and, and, governance uh, forms uh, to take the chance of the COVID to say, you know, uh, we really need need to change for real. And and the question is, how would this change uh, uh, unfold from your point of view, from your perspective, in terms of both business model, organizational model, constituents, uh, governance models?
0: all of the aspects of society are certainly going to be changing um so we we are looking at the space uh, from we can think about it in five particular so areas of society that are being impacted um from The digital trust is an area that we look at, and now we see that there is uh, information out there, or the tech companies are taking information from us, and we're relying on them, and so are governments. The next one, obviously, is uh, what we call health and wellness, and that's an area that has come to the forefront of all of this. And and just for um, some background, my focus here, especially being in Silicon Valley, is on technology, right? So this is my lens to the world, uh, but not limited to. The third one is uh, what we call ambient computing, uh, and this is how, for example, 5G and IoT around us, the world is becoming more intelligent, and we will see self-cleaning rooms, cars, buses, planes. And the fourth one is sustainability uh, around, obviously, we need to fix this planet, and you and I have worked on many projects together, uh, Steena as well, with, uh, in, at, at events and beyond. And then lastly is how do we do the future of work? So to answer your specific question, Simone, um, I do think many things will change, but it's going to be in between from where we are and where we're going, and we call this hybrid. For, for example, um, many people are now working from home, even if they had a corporate job, uh, but some of them, yes, some of them will never return to the, the office and have a physical desk five days a week, but in most cases, it will probably be a hybrid a mixture of going to the office, maybe one, two, three days a week, uh, but working at home three, three, two or one days a week. So we're going to see that mixture. I don't think everything is going to stay just at home. We we are anxious to get out and connect to other people out in the, in the world. So we'll see something in between from where we were um, in the beginning of the year and where we are now in the summer.
1: And um, so that's a provocative question, probably. (laughs) So there is a a, a good friend of mine that wrote a a blog post uh, before the pandemic, as soon as the pandemic started, and uh, we started to be put into lockdown and so on. And uh, he wrote this essay and said, you know, we're going to end up in uh, emerging from this uh, pandemic a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, in Italy, there is this tradition of doing sausages, with with meat, you know, and uh, like artisanal sausages, and when you do this artisan uh, as an artisan or as a you know uh, amateurish process, let's say, normally you uh, you put these things into uh, uh, you, you know into plastic basically. Uh, you plastify them, you know, to con- to conserve, you know, to keep them uh, good for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made this parallel and said, you know, we're going to end up after the pandemic a little, a little, a little like these sausages. You know, we're going to be plastified. We're going to be sunified. I understand. So the question is, do you see that we are emerging of these as a just as a sunified consumers, or there's something deeper?
0: Oh yes, I I agree that's going to be the case. We're going to be so focused on keeping things clean. We're going to be physically distanced. Uh, We will use technology to make sure that we're not connecting, Uh, for example, this is going to be a challenge how do we greet each other in some cultures you do double kisses i think where Stina is living right now uh cheek to cheek she's in paris Uh, and italy it's also a warm embrace Uh, americans shake hands if not hug Uh, so that in itself is going to be a rewrite of our culture on how do we greet it might be a wave or a verbal or maybe a bow that we would use from asian cultures so all of that is going to be changing um This also has significant impacts to how we travel, an area that you and I have looked at a lot in the past. And this is, uh, for example, some of the ride sharing companies in Silicon Valley have now turned off a ride pool, and now it's just single riders. Some of the drivers put plastic up around them when they're actually driving in the car, and those pictures are emerging, and people laugh at them, but they're trying to keep themselves safe, as well as the passengers safe, because it is a high area of of traffic in those cars. There's also new technologies that are using UV light to actually sterilize Train cars, subways, and buses. Um, we are expecting that planes will have partitions between the seats, and middle seats are already gone. And so, the cost of your flight might actually increase as we start to travel more. And we might see special sprays emerged in around those seats, and UV lights in all of those places of transportation. Um, here in in the Bay, I'm sorry, in United States movie theaters are now opening again and they are socially distancing seats and of course they need to be sanitized so even the, the structure of of even the seats we might move away from fabric to just hard plastic seats um, the world is going to become more sanitized less comfortable as we start to go about the world in this particular way um, and uh, that will be a fact for many many years
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing a reflection on, on exactly this. You know, so, so what uh, the option that presents to ourselves is to say, you know, to just continue as, as if nothing has passed and just trying to sanify whatever we do. So actually plastify ourselves. Plastify. Um, mm-hmm. uh, w- 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 while in the other end, if I look into your area of research, for example, uh, there is this research on, on, on this area of research on wellness, health, and, and issue of work. And, uh, you know, basically we have been reflecting a lot on the impacts of the pandemic on, for example, uh, if, you, if you focus on work, on the worker. The fact that you are pushed to work from home, it's, some, to some extent, it impacts the organizational shapes, you know, it impacts the, the way that work is managed. So, so you end up in having these dislocated um, uh, teams, small teams, uh, uh, re-embedded in their, uh, 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 you know, in their communities. There's a lot of talking about working remotely, a lot of people living cities in the U.S. now looking for more remote uh, positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so just an initial provocation on what kind of epistemic changes, what kind of uh, priority change uh, uh is this going to uh, 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 you know enforce on the consumer? And, and to some extent, uh, may this be in your opinion uh, dramatic I mean a dramatic change in terms of what companies are supposed to produce. Uh, maybe moving away from this idea of the experience, experience age into uh, something that we could call the age of health, the age of uh, uh, you know wellness. Uh, because especially uh, we are interested in this. Why? Because healthcare—it's—it's um, it's, uh, uh, as Daniel Wall, another guest on our podcast, said—it's a property of nested systems. So if you really start to think about how healthy you are, you need to start thinking about how connected you are to yours, to your context, to your systems, to your communities, to your landscape. So, so the question would be. Uh, do you th- do you think these structural changes are really changing radically what gets produced and gets uh you know what is the uh, the output of the enterprise
0: i love your systems thinking approach and i was also hearing your other guests on the podcast and and how you think about those circles and the connected systems and that is also how we think about the world as well and that is a fantastic question. So let's just dive into the first part around health and well-being. Um, we are a product of our environment as well as the biological gifts in which we were presented. Uh, each of us are individual in both of those scenarios. And we can already see um, how certain individuals have genetic build up and this can help them. Some of them might have immunity to the virus and some others do not. Uh, And then also depending on where you live and the healthcare coverage uh, that you have impacts that. So let's just give the American example since I am an American. Some communities do not have much healthcare coverage and they have been suffering, specifically the the black community. They have had more, a higher mortality rate when it came to COVID-19 versus those that did not. And so that is showing the systematic breakdown from early age, even some other cities uh, were polluted um, and this is where they didn't have the right healthcare coverage or it's difficult to transport themselves to healthcare or this just wasn't coverage. Uh, insurance for healthcare. And this has a, a lifelong effect um, across their whole um, community, which is wrong. And we must change that and fix that, absolutely. And so, this is an an example of the environment around us and how we're using these things. And this is also um, what we call the digital divide. Those that have access to digital tools are more connected and they can keep better track of their well-being and wellness. They might be able to order food or to participate in online fitness uh, or do meditation uh, apps. And so, we're seeing that there's this real divide. All of that has been a real change within uh, the societal landscape to to see these things. Our focus has been around technology and health and wellness. In particular, we've seen a number of the Silicon Valley firms and beyond launch digital contact tracing apps. Uh, And to your point, this is spanning both your individual person as well as your community. And for those that are not familiar with digital contact tracing apps, you can download it in your particular region, and there's different ones for different countries. And if somebody near you is also using that app and one of you gets sick, you can indicate that on the app and it will anonymously, um, in theory, tell that information to the other person so they should go get tested. So it's a form of what we call herd intelligence or crowd intelligence to see those that are sick. Um, Unfortunately, there's low trust and adoption of these apps uh, for numerous reasons. Uh, the sad thing is we need 40 to 70 percent of the general population to use them for them to be effective of this herd intelligence so to bring it back to you yes um the individual um the way we behave and the the neighborhood and the state and the region and the country and the societal aspect those rings of systems all flow out and they all are interconnected steen i know that you have a question to add on
1: this right
2: yeah, it, it was very interesting to listen. And I keep, uh, you know, wondering uh, about the opportunities that technology brings. And also, I mean, that infamous quote of with great, uh, uh, no, sorry, I lost track <laughs> of the quote, but with great power comes great responsibility. Responsibility, yes, uh, right? great so, one. Um, so I was thinking, you know, like, what what is needed for to taking the good sides of technology and to help us in these aftermaths of the COVID, so I'm thinking about something along the lines of, you know, how do you bring about a race to the top in developing new solutions instead of, um, you know, getting power in the wrong hands or um, or creating solutions that no one that doesn't really help society as a whole in this context.
0: Thank you. So that's a great question. And that is the first theme that we look at called digital trust. And, and there's kind of awakening happening in Silicon Valley. Uh, These tech companies are trying to decipher what is their role in society? Are they enablers of people to make transactions amongst themselves for example we saw this right both of us with airbnb and uber uh, and they were trying to be hands-off and say we're we're not arbiters of good and bad you are doing the transactions we're just a platform we heard the same language out of google facebook uh, and others Uh, and but now i think there is a shift Where they have, um, some, in some cases, it's because of government pressure has scrutinized their behavior and wants to regulate them so they have no choice. And certainly, even the European Union has put pressure on the tech companies to be more thoughtful and moral. Um, However, I do think there is a change now where the tech companies are recognizing their role when it comes to ethics. Yesterday, I spoke to an executive at Cisco. And they are talking, and they have been talking about inclusion, which means to include everybody in the world, not just a certain type of person. And that means not just workers, but also the technology can be useful for all those of all colors, creeds, genders um, to be involved. And so there is this moral reckoning amongst the tech industry. Um, and we even saw last week that three big tech uh, companies, Amazon, Um, I think it's Google and I can't remember the other, uh, said that they will no longer sell facial recognition software uh, to police departments because it could be used to incorrectly identify or to put pressure on people that might be protesting, which is not democratic. And also some of the technology is not working well with people with darker color skin. So you might incorrectly identify somebody as a culprit when they actually may not have committed a crime at all, and that would just perpetuate the societal problems. And then even yesterday, uh, and thank you, uh, Stina, for bringing this up, there was a question uh, around all of this ethics and Facebook deleted ads from the Trump administration that had imagery related to the Nazis. And so they're now taking a a moral stand on the types of content that are allowed to be on the platform. They now recognize that they have a role to play when it comes to what is good and bad. Now, here's the, the downside. Do we and should we trust these tech companies to be the arbiters of our ethics and morality, where does the line start and stop? And it's a very slippery slope because they were not geared up to be the ethical judges in our society. And they and, and the way they decide is a limited view. So this is a real challenge for all of us because we'll all be impacted. Mm-hmm. I think uh, at the end of the
1: day you are hinting into what is uh, starting to be a clear topic when we talk about technology and society. You know, the, the year actually started with uh, the presentation that went uh, pretty viral from uh, Ben Evans uh, at the World Economic Forum uh, talking about uh, the, the role of regulation indeed and also that the fact that uh, essentially as internet becomes mature and it, it's permeating uh, uh, every aspect of our life. Uh, we need to regulate that. We need to, you know, as a society, we need to take care of how technology plays out its role in society, you know, in, yes. in, in, in our lives. And uh, the other thing that we need to acknowledge is that uh, also the world is fragmenting now, you know, in, into the U.S. internet and the European internet and and the Chinese, yeah. Chinese internet and also you know at, at, the, at this these times it's, it's even no more just about the internet you know everything is fragmenting you know in pieces you know in 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 smaller pieces the u.s is is, is and china are really you know uh, doing trade wars and mm-hmm. and so 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 that's more or less what we what we are living and i, I think also if i look at the at the um, Topics of research of your firm. Uh, this is also very interesting to, to look into because uh, if you think, if you look into digital trust and biometrics, you're basically talking about uh, um, how the government controls society. You know, try between and the government regulates organizations in, in and to some extent controls society. Uh, so what uh, you know, uh, some people could call techno cosmo techno politics you know that that's more or less the topic mm. then instead if you look into the uh, the renewable part and the energy and the sustainability part you're essentially talking about uh, um infrastructure so it's still government jobs it's still government work um and and finally if you look into awareness and future of work Uh, That can be seen, I think, uh, uh, from both perspectives, you know, so from the perspective of existing organizations and how they embrace a different future of work and a different idea of health in society, or it can also be seen from the perspective of how do we imagine a different uh, idea of work and a different idea of the organization that maybe leverages on technology and leverages on all these things that we have learned to use, but to build a completely different, radically different business models that, for example, are much more local. You know, there is a lot of talking about hardening our supply chains, hardening our food chains. So to some extent, uh, the reflection that I want to offer to you Uh, You know, if you move from the experience economy to the health economy, uh, probably there is some efficiency that needs to be left on the table and we need to to probably deliberately build a more, uh, you know, you said moral, ethic, but I would say also a more secure, redundant uh, society and redundant types of businesses. So so the question would be, how do you see the patents that that we have been chronicling about, you know, platforms, marketplaces and uh, experiences, whatever, moving into this new landscape, this new perspective? How are we right. going to use them to rebuild a new different economy and, and a different story to some extent?
0: Yes. So I do work with companies that have uh, global supply chains and a handful of them have tried to have multiple manufacturing lines not just be reliant on china after what happened and so they learned a valuable lesson um but the the overarching uh, movement has been pretty slow in most cases we're still dependent upon the global supply chain well for example um, we were doing research on the impacts of sustainability and COVID-19. And there's been, um, well, actually, I'd love to ask you, can you guess what percentage of carbon emissions globally has been reduced during the quarantine? What percentage?
1: Well, I'm a particularly informed on that because I'm a bit obsessed. So if I don't recall, uh, if I recall well, it should be something like 17% for
0: the first weeks. and That is exactly right. Now we are around 5% that is exactly right and right and and in northern italy we saw the satellite images of that reduced carbon um emission so when i pull other people who are less informed than you they guess 50 to 70% wow no it's 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 just it, we have yes we've made improvements but the the energy creation and the global supply chain and the shipping has not stopped, only human transport has stopped, which is roughly around the 20%. And so we are still reliant upon a global supply chain. So every time we order products from e-commerce sites, those products are being assembled likely overseas and shipped over and assembled somewhere else and put on big ships uh, or airplanes. So, we haven't really made that change. Uh, And so, I think that's a a real struggle. Um, Even in the U.S., I have not heard or read about um, big pushes towards local uh, provisions and provisioning of your supply chain. And and still, even here, there's regions that produce food, so they still have to ship it to other regions that don't produce food and areas that produce things made out of metal, which are not done in California, so we have to get that from the north. So, I I unfortunately don't see the localization of supply chain happening except for specific tar- uh, farm-to-table uh, business models.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this prompts uh, reflection, you know, which is... Um i think i i, I often quoted um uh, wendell berry in this uh, conversation i don't know if you're familiar with his work but uh, uh essentially one of the key points of this uh, vision that berry that was a farmer uh, is a farmer actually is 90 at the moment um and a poet, not just that, but essentially uh, one of the key points of his, um, uh, you know, his story is that uh, the, the, the big problem that we have is that we rely on a society that is very much specialized and and very much focused on the role uh, of uh, offering us a role of consumers. Okay, so 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 the question is, unless you don't radically uh, embrace this idea perspective that you need to become a producer of value and you need to take care of, uh, uh, you know, some essential uh, processes in how do you uh, manage your life. So, so it can be, uh, you know, food or energy, these kind of essentials. Um, uh, it's very hard to imagine that society can really shift if we don't embrace these, uh, Different perspective. Another interesting project that we have been interviewing for the research is called Participatory City. It's a project from the UK and it's one of, uh, it's been, you know, basically creating an initiative in two boroughs of London, uh, one of the two uh, most uh, disadvantaged ones, uh, and essentially building this network of uh, citizens around the shared infrastructures when they can really get back to the essentials and produce uh, clothing or. Uh, you know, uh, cutlery like not cutlery. I don't know say in English, but basically plates and you know, like of that, kind of, that kind of stuff, and and uh, um, you know, food and 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 mm-hmm. that kind of uh, that kind of uh, endeavours and and uh, and the, the founders call it an economy of essentials. Um, so, so uh, the question for you will be, uh, you know. Do do you do you think this kind of transition is possible, and to what extent? What roles can an organization, maybe by creating different organizational structures and different business models, generate this transition towards an economy that is more about producing and more about the essentials?
0: I think it's possible, but we'll need support from all levels, from the 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 person living in the home to the local neighborhood to the city itself, the leaders of the city, as well as the businesses. So they would all have to agree and participate in doing that. I see that behavior in some cities, for example, Detroit, which is a a city that has had some plight and they try to encourage people to purchase things from Detroit and try to um, be proud of the things that are done locally. And there are a number of companies that have emerged um, that have produced products and people know them as made in detroit and there's a lot of pride in that Um, i've seen that so one thing that has happened during the quarantine is that many people have started gardens and they are producing their own food during world war ii that was called victory gardens where people would in the united states would produce 40 to 60% of the actual produce for the table from their own gardens and and we are seeing people taking up gardening at a rapid pace um, here and around the world including I am doing the same uh, growing squash and lettuce and I was making uh, my goal was to make all of my own salads in my backyard and we got pretty close uh, we are still pretty close to, to doing that um, and so that is one example of just easing the supply chain and thinking about all the, the carbon benefits by uh me not going to the store and that and then going backwards that lettuce brought from um you know from the from the farm on the supply on the supply chain there's lots of benefits by just doing that for the for the for, uh, for the environments as well uh But there is a challenge here, so outside of the food supply chain, many of the advanced products that we need now, electronics or things made out of metal or plastic, uh, those are still going to require a global supply chain. I, I just don't see that changing. Certainly things like textiles and woodworking and artisan goods can be done at a local level, but there's going to be a mixture of global and local supply chains.
1: Yeah, that, that is for sure. That is for sure. I'm i mean, I'm not uh, um, naive in uh, to the extent to think that we can have uh, localized uh, consumer electronics, but uh, maybe that's exactly the point. You know, the point is what are the second order effects of uh, uh, having to transition towards um, you know more uh, locally based uh, economies right. Um, in terms of also what do we expect you know and and, and i don't think that uh, this transition can really happen you know that's the problem with systems thinking you know, when everything needs to change at the same time um, it's very really hard to think about uh, right. uh, that kind of stuff happening so so uh, so again i think a, a good reflection that i, that I bring uh, that i bring up is you know what are the, the second-order effects of these transitions and these changes of priority? For example, in the choices you take as a worker. So as a worker, you may take a, a job that is different just because you want to move to the countryside and maybe start a homestead. Okay, so so that's the kind of uh, I think uh, second-order effects that uh, we may be seeing in the coming uh-huh. in the coming uh, years. Uh, St- Stina, do you do you have a do you have a further question on that? Right.
2: Yeah. I'm curious to know what you think about uh, whether this is like an information problem, because I agree that probably, you know, all levels would need to collaborate in order to, to somehow nudge consumers. That's what we're talking about, right? Like to kind of be more aware in their consumption habits and so on. And and we've been talking with uh, i mean a lot of different people but i recalled now the our conversation with Michel bowens and yes. he was talking about this reporting 3.0 or you know like and he said governments cannot see flows they just see like more static uh sort of accounting systems uh, and i think this is related maybe it's not only governments but i'm wondering if consumers would be able to see the full impact of their choices do you think that it would change behaviors towards consuming more locally? Um, or how do you see that? That's a
0: good question. So I think it depends on um, the cohort of individuals. Some some groups are very sustainable-minded, and that will be a primary decision point. But in the research that we have looked at, and specifically in the sharing economy, we, we were asking people why would they want to use... Um, uh uber lyft blah blah car uh, airbnb and other shared services and over and over and and other studies that i didn't even do all the findings were always around first is convenience the second is price and i think that is still going to be a primary driver Um, the third by the way was often connecting to others and fourth was sustainability that was a study done five years ago it might have changed I'll bet you it has changed now uh, where people are more sustainably minded especially the younger generations who are going to have to live with this planet and we have seen products with carbon scores or fair trade goods those are things that have existed in the past but in some in some cases though especially during a recession people are price sensitive so that's going to be the primary factor is it cheap is it there's their value there and so they may not care as much about the state sustainable impacts because they're in crises mode, just trying to make sure they can keep their families safe and feed them. So I think it depends also then that is the point of when. Uh, when are people more sustainably minded and during your crises? The, even the topic of sustainability has waned significantly as we've spoken more about health and safety that which has become the more important topic and even in the last weeks around racial justice that has started to even take over the topic specifically in the United States over the, the health and wellness as people even hit the streets and globally, uh, certainly even in Paris, um, even putting their lives at risk for the transmission of the virus, uh, it was more important to protest. They they have made that very clear in their behavior set. And, and of course, I'd participated in uh, socially distanced protests myself. So I think all of these factors have numerous um, factors on who is it and what is the situation in this scenario? Uh, we are approaching in the United States the hurricane season. It's starting to happen now. And here in California, we're going to be approaching the fire season and we've had severe um, smoke in all regions. And that will trigger and then of course we'll have blizzards in the winter and that will be a harsh reminder to everybody as the weather becomes uh very angry that we need to stay committed towards sustainability goals mm.
1: you know I, I cannot think about uh, more signs uh, that uh, the situation is slipping out of control you know, because you uh, first of all you uh, i think you, you gave a pretty clear uh, explanation of the double bind uh, that we are all, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, wrapped into. You no, know, this idea that, uh, uh, for example, when you are in crisis mode, you're gonna be looking into short-term uh, solutions, and while maybe the crisis is more an arbinger of a long-term, the need for long-term solutions. Uh, so, so that's a one point. But uh, if I think about what's happening with COVID, and then you mentioned the. The fire season, and you know, it was incredible for me last year to look at uh, Silicon Valley, California, the, the heart of the techno-optimistic and promethean culture that we seem to have embraced globally, uh, and uh, see that uh, during the fire season, you guys, you know, some parts of California were without power for for weeks, you know, because oh yeah, yeah. so so the question well, we went down to a developing yeah the, region. It was quite humbling. The question is. Is, do you see you know you are a, such a deep uh, you know connoisseur of this the scene the trends the people the, the perceptions your, your work on, on mind for example on, on mindfulness and wellness do, do you do you see that the uh, Silicon Valley is really going through some kind of uh, perception crisis some kinds of, some kinds of epistemic existential crisis and uh, maybe, uh, uh, structure of the change that this brings to one of the engines of uh, development of the world.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Silicon Valley is just going through adolescence. We are not a mature adult. Uh, we have not realized our responsibility are literally our quote body is changing we're developing into an adult we're realizing that our behaviors impact other people that's one of the things that teens go through because they've been dependent upon somebody else to make decisions for them in the past as a child and then they realize they transition that their behaviors and they're also responsible for themselves Um, am i talking about a human in adolescence or silicon valley it's both you can see that that's the direct lineage and uh we don't, we don't really know who we are and who we want to be. We say things like, uh, we want to make the world a better place, such a cliche. But in reality, the, in many cases, that's true. But we can find just as many negative uh, examples where that has not been the case, uh, even causing people incredible suffering around the globe and and so this is a a real challenge which we are going through this this crisis of The identity and ethics in fact many of the executive teams are building digital ethics into the discussions They're hiring diversity chief diversity officers for inclusion Um, They're also encouraging that the programmers and product managers uh, for example Microsoft they have a a number of of, uh, playing cards with different faces on them of different colors uh, for example, it might be a 13-year-old, um, a girl who is um, black, and so how are you building software that meets her uh, need? Um, secondly, many of the, the different. Um, tech in companies have set up uh, lobbyist groups in, in Washington, D.C. to make sure they're connected to government change, both to influence them, but to also um, sense and understand about the changes that are coming from Washington, D.C. So, w- we need to think more broadly about the impacts of society, and, and that is the wake-up call that is happening now. Very astute observation, Simone.
1: Mm. Well, I also see this large disconnect in the U.S. Uh, society uh, between uh, some pioneering voices, um, maybe, you know, for example, now is, uh, is the moment of climate tech funds. You know, everybody's opening a fund to climate work. Huh? And, uh, and uh, disconnect with, between the, 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 this kind of leadership coming from the tech industry uh, in Silicon Valley, the tech bros, like somebody called them, uh-huh. uh, and the and the um, U.S. government, you know, simply it seems like the U.S. are not really coherent as a society uh, in, in this moment. So, what are the what are the things that? Uh, excite you uh, about what is happening what is coming up from the us society at the moment in terms of uh, uh, deep changes in behavior deep changes in the relationship between society and technology and politics and governance what are the things that you are excited about
0: yes we are now becoming becoming socially woke we are now uh, actively discussing inequity inequality um, at the very foundational levels and at the history of the the country Um, even this week, when we're recording this podcast, we are discussing an, a historic date when the slaves were freed uh, through the Emancipation Proclamation on today. And this is something that wasn't recognized, and certainly wasn't even considered as a potential informal holiday. But yet, many um, organizations are allowing their employees to take the day off and think and reflect uh, and about equality amongst society. And so, that is new. That is a new topic. Uh, and in addition. We're analyzing uh, our culture and our behavior around freedom versus um, safety for the masses. And and the United States is ripped asunder. There's a complete bifurcation uh, on those values uh, the country is built on. Capitalism and individual freedom, but at the same time, we are a federalist nation that is connected, loosely connected. And so there is extreme tension between those two value sets and the cultures, and they're even geographically dispersed as well. And, and so the society is discussing that. And so, and the discussions and the arguments and the agreements that happen out of those discussions are the first step that is required for systemic change for systematic change for the systems thinking that you uh, have aptly um, uh, talked about um, my French friends tell me and remind me that um, severe changes and informal or formal uh, revolutions where the society is rebooted or restarted or, or the firm the term I like to use is reformatted um, are 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 required for us to have these discussions in order for us to change society um, in the way that is least um, damaging to us. So I'm excited that we're all talking about the real challenges in society. And many of these topics, specifically even around racism or the digital divide, were not talked about, Simone. Um, It was taboo to talk about them. You, You wouldn't want to talk about them in polite company or certainly at the workplace, but now, all of that has been ripped open. And and a lot of that is because of COVID people feel like they've gone through crisis. So they're willing to talk about it now. So, um, in summary, we are openly talking, protesting, debating, yelling about the, the real issues that we have in society. And that is not something that was done across the whole country. And now it is. Hmm.
1: Sounds like a really pivotal moment uh, in uh, in the history of the U.S. Uh, yes. and in the history of the world. Uh, um, I would say at some point, Stina, do you have a, do you have an, an additional reflection to share uh, with this? Right.
2: Well, I I wanted to ride on the wave of positive <laughs> sentiment uh, and to ponder on this idea of um, you know you, I know you've been researching. Uh, the future of work and right. and I think it's quite likely that uh, a lot of work, jo- jobs might become automated, and that might have happened anyways, but it might be accelerated in in the current situation. and And I'm just curious to hear about you know when machines to some extent take over uh, certain tasks and humans get more time <laughs> and maybe less work in the labor sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be their role? in you know stewarding society forward uh, and what is needed like by companies and by other institutions to to provide like some spaces for humans to still have a role to play um in in progress if we want to use that word then
0: thank you that's a fantastic question so we need to discuss the types of automation there's Let's just break it into two camps that, that we've looked at. One is the physical world being automated. So that could be driving or people that are checking out your groceries at the store. Or those could be people working on the manufacturing line, actually creating products. The second group would be knowledge workers, also called white-collar workers or office workers that are working with information and data. So, um The first camp, we're not seeing much growth there. The physical world is not being automated as fast. In fact, I've been on a number of calls with um, engineers and production leaders at warehouses, and they are not doing much automation. And and the reason they haven't really done that is because the companies have pulled back their budgets, especially because we're in a recession. And automating uh, supply chains is very expensive. Secondly, the self-driving car companies they require other cars to be on the road so they can capture um, accurate data and that has stopped so they have been slowing down and many of them have had layoffs um, at these self-driving car companies so they have not uh, rapidly moved forward but the Checkout lanes—that is still being moved quickly because that is tied to health and wellness. So, contactless um, checkout and payment systems uh, could reduce the amount of time of cashiers and reduce the amount of cashiers. Uh, but that doesn't make sense to have robots. You know, for example, in restaurants, it's just, it just—it doesn't make sense. For example, Boston Robotics just announced their their robot dog Spot is now available to be purchased, but it's seventy-five thousand uh, dollars. That doesn't make a lot of sense in, unless you're perhaps in the mining industry. So that's the first camp. I don't think we're going to see as much automation there in the short term period. However, in the second camp, um, where there's knowledge workers, we're seeing faster automation. And that's because it's cheaper to install cloud software to your systems and use chatbots and machine learning, because that is rapidly being offered by the cloud-based companies like Salesforce, Google, um, Microsoft, and um, Automation Anywhere and beyond. And in many cases, they're turning that on because companies weren't ready for the onslaught of phone calls, so they need to turn on chatbots as quickly as possible to be managing during this crisis. So, we are certainly seeing an increase of automation for the white Uh, Collar workers. Now, to specifically answer your question, there is an opportunity for humans to focus on the things that matter uh, the most, which is to focus on creativity, thinking at systems level like Simone naturally does. And you too, Stina. And, and to focus on the human interactions and the relationships. So, um, for example, we could have more people as salespeople or waiters and waitresses, or to be at the in the HR department to talk and listen carefully to other people or to spend time with customers to build that real relationship. Uh, things we'd want to actually be more human about. But the repetitive tasks in the workplace, those will likely become automated in the midterm, uh, certainly, uh, and in the long term. So I hope that answers um, how I am seeing it and when I talk to the technology leaders in the space, what they're trying to do.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: Um, this also brought me to some more reflections that, uh, that maybe as we enter the last part of the conversation, I think is worth trying to, to do with you. Um, so it sounds like, you know, uh, also the impacts of automation that you just described, you um, uh, to some extent uh, they depict uh, uh, this moment of uh, transition between what uh, our friends uh, our friend Lisa uh, Lisa Genski defined uh, yeah once in, in the podcast she defined this transition between the no more and the not yet uh, which has been very you know clear for us to, to frame where we are at the moment. You know? <laughs> so so when, when I think about the not yet you know, and uh, the not yet, uh, uh, it's a uh, 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 it's a world where we, as you said, you know, a few times we rely more on social relationships. We build a more uh, care, caring systems, more local, maybe uh, much more thoughtful, and to some extent uh, ethical. Um, and and it sounds like a place where maybe in Europe more than in the US, we could think about the the government to also play. Uh, a, a fundamental role uh, uh, in the U.S. In general, the role of government it's really limited, uh, tends to be limited, especially federal government, which normally invests mainly in in defense and things like that. Um, so, so, so the question is, I see these as a. a I'm also. Uh, I've also heard this uh, being described, but, but some voices in the internet as, a, as a, an entrepreneurial opportunity. You know? So this the fact that we, we got to reconstruct, rebuild a different society and different production systems uh, it represents uh, no doubt an entrepreneurial opportunity. And the question for you would be, do, do you see this you know uh, you know for example, let, let's talk about you know community agriculture or community energy, or uh, services, care services, uh, you know, uh, like uh, uh, education. You know, what we are seeing with companies such as Wonder School. Uh, so, so these are entrepreneurial opportunities that that uh, that presents to ourselves. Uh, uh, what what is the role that two things are going to play in, within this entrepreneurial opportunity? First of all, existing incumbent brands, how they are going to look at this opportunity. In terms of how they restructure the governance structures and the, uh, the processes to fit with that, and secondly, how constructs that me and you we have been talking about a lot, Sanchez, uh, you know, platforms and um, uh, network effects. Mm-hmm. How are these kind of marketplaces? How are these kind of things going to help us to address and make the best of this new society that looks like these new markets, these new firms that we need to build to really, uh, you know, take all these uh, entrepreneurial opportunities to build the, to make the not yet uh, more real.
0: Thank you. So you're asking about the entrepreneurial act um, opportunities with companies and startups, is it? Yeah. I mean, not
1: just a, co- a company. I, I mean, I guess that uh, this entrepreneurial opportunity will be also open to new constituents, such as uh, communities, local communities, for example. No, uh, for example, uh, I've been trying to organize my community around a permaculture project or around an energy project, and uh, so, so 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 this is, is an opportunity also for entrepreneurs that are maybe less into the startup thinking, but more into community-owned or, or platform co-ops or something like that. Okay, got But it. but the question is. Still, you know, still we have the technology, we have the patents, we have the knowledge to leverage on network effects, to leverage on platforms. Yes. So how do we? These new constituents are going to use this knowledge uh, to take all these new opportunities.
0: I hear that many people are now communicating with their neighbors when they didn't do so in the past and this is because we're all homebound and people are checking on each other and they're communicating through social technologies and that is certainly happening throughout the united states and beyond and that is the first step in that relationship to for people to connect to each other we've seen a number of startups <clears throat> excuse me and services emerge where it's in, you encourage people to check up on the elderly uh to enable just the healthcare because we're worried about the primary healthcare teams not able to ha- handle the covid infections so when it goes over the quote curve So we saw many startups emerge that enabled that. Secondly, um, we have spoken with um, a number of startups that are enabling the crowd to help self-service each other when it came to mental health. Uh, one is called a uh, wisdom based out of Israel and you can become a volunteer and help people who are struggling with their mental health. And they may not have access to professional th- uh, therapists and psychologists, but now you can have a friend anonymously that you could build a long-term relationship and you end up being friends for life. And those that were having the mental issues, they in turn become those that help others as they continue to grow and graduate. So that's an example of both local and global, uh, community effects that can be used. Now, when it comes to specific neighborhood resiliency, such as microgrids uh, or co-ops, those I don't hear of that happening as quickly. Uh, it's In many cases, people don't want to be physically around each other right now. So it's created some challenges uh, for that to actually happen. Uh, But that does, uh, Neil Garnflow, our mutual friend, there is community gardens where he lives and people are exchanging food amongst each other as they um, all uh, grow. And my friend um, Amanda Weber in Washington D.C. Their church has a community garden where people are coming together and learning skills, even though they're socially distanced, and they share in the bounty and the harvest. And that was specifically in response of COVID-19. So that's an opportunity to happen. Uh, so, but when it comes to the the many ideas that we had when we were so focused on the sharing economy, such as shared cars in a neighborhood, um, we haven't seen an increase in that uh, recently, or shared Tools or shared um, vacuum cleaners or um, other um, utilities. I haven't seen those models emerge uh, yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you feel like do you see that
1: some champions that may emerge uh, to really you know like leaders that that can maybe build uh, high growth uh, or in general high impact startups or, or something like that. Uh, to really demonstrate that uh, this new space can be uh, taken with a different approach than the usual, uh, you know, the usual venture uh approach that, uh, that, that brought us the technology, you know, the, the, the latest revolutions.
0: Unfortunately, I where I live and my network tends to be many venture-backed people, and, and so that is very common. But I would say the one thing that is common is there are a a larger set of investors in fact the amount of angels and syndicates that emerge in many ways is like crowdfunding where it is coming from high net worth individuals but they're not the institutional vc firms so crowdfunding that has waned um in a bit Uh, is not as common and you don't see startups Pronouncing and talking about how much they have raised on Kickstarter and Indiegogo—that that has that passed. Uh, yes, it does happen, but it's not generally what you hear about. But we do hear many startups are using friends and fun, uh, family money and seed funds and angel investments and syndicates in order to get funded, which is a form of crowdfunding. Uh, but those are investors, of course. I mean, of course, crowdfunding is a form of investment. But the bigger thing is, Simone, that the cost of getting a startup off the ground is continuing to decrease, decrease, and it you just need mostly time and talent and right timing to get cloud-based software and cloud services is in many cases free. For example, I know the folks at Amazon Cloud Services, and they offer credits to startups um, to get going for free. Uh, and this is a way to kickstart that environment. Of course, they want to get them on their platform and not defect to Microsoft, Azure, or, or to Google uh, Cloud. So that's why they are offering these things to startups. So never before has it been cheaper to start a tech startup because you can do this. And since people are at home, you don't need to rely on uh, even coworking or office space. It's, it's just assume that you use these free services to get your company off the ground. It costs a few thousand dollars to get going and so i think that is the other economic impact here as well
1: this sounds like something that marx predicted and and uh, for sure is going to probably impact a lot of the type of businesses that uh, that will be prototyped and created you know maybe allowing for also different way to think through growth and network effects and scaling across, like uh, many systems thinkers always preach about and also really not really this idea of scaling, concentrating everything, but scaling horizontally across uh, different uh, local systems where you can just play not just the role of consumer, but also maybe the role of investor, maybe the role of uh, producer, contributor, manager, and so on. So maybe this is the, the, the kind of um, startup economy that we are supposed to see, to see in, the coming, uh, in the coming months. And, so, and so, uh, the last thing
0: on this is, is since there is 15 to 20% unemployed, so in many cases, now is the time to birth a new company. Um, in fact, the biggest companies that have emerged in the tech space came from a recession. And so Airbnb, the classic example, they they couldn't afford hotels, so they made their own uh, living room available as a form of a hotel, a bed and breakfast. So now is the time we will see the next big tech winner.
1: Yeah, if I judge uh, on the sides of the crisis, uh, maybe the leaps we're going to see in terms of uh, the next technological models may be uh, broader than, than than those that Airbnb and Uber brought about in 2007 and 2006 yeah. and 2008. sorry. So, so uh, one closing question, uh, Jeremiah, I'm really curious to ask you one thing. I see that uh, you are sharing so much uh, enthusiastic comments about Clubhouse. And uh, my question would be in the last few weeks, no? and my question would be, do you see um, a new emerging way of relating through voice um, thanks to this new wave of uh, uh, social, uh, you know, voice-based social uh, applications?
0: Of course, and here we are doing it right now on your amazing and wonderful podcast. And this is so much... Okay, so there's three mediums to think about. There is text-based, there's audio-based, and there's video-based. And there's two other um, factors. There's uh, real-time or asynchronous. And then there's another factor, which is um, publishing versus interactive. So those are the three... Different areas. In fact, I should put together a little graphic on that, and I will. Yeah. Um, so, right now, many people have um, fatigue from Zoom, and there's been multiple studies that showed you use more brain power trying to squint and look at somebody as their camera is shaking as they type, and you're tr- you're you're straining to hear when their signal goes out, or it goes into robotic mode, or your mic is not set up, and the screen is small, and you're staring at the same fixed position. It is tiring secondly text text doesn't give you the emotion that you need uh to make this happen so the in between medium specifically when people want to connect to each other, yet they want to move around the house or they want to go on a walk or they want to um, do other things and multitask is is voice. Um, And voice gives that emotion. And now uh, tools like Clubhouse um, are real-time voice rooms, and there's multiple rooms, like a a conference, like the WeShare conference or like a TED conference. And you can go into different rooms and hear speakers or you can create your room, and you can jump into hallway discussions and learn different things. And so this is kind of this new applications. This is uh, you also know Discord, which gamers use. This is the same technology set. Or from the nineteen nineties, the phone lines were called party lines, where you would dial into that. This is the same thing that's happening now. So that is um, a a hot trend that we're seeing, voice-based collaboration, especially when teams are remote. It's light enough, but not as heavy as video, and you don't have to be pretending like you're paying attention during the video. You can be doing other things. You're more efficient, and there's less social pressure. So um, I definitely see this as a a new way uh, for this to happen. And I'm going to predict in just a few quarters, uh, you, this podcast, you might have another version where it's interactive, where... People are, are dialing in and talking to you live with your guests, even though you will be running the stage, Simone and Stina, uh, but there will be another aspect of this that will happen. So I do think that is the next frontier in terms of communications.
1: I love it. Uh, I, I, I really think that this uh, podcasting uh, audio revolution that you are hinting about, uh, it may really Create a new space for having these important conversations that we are having, and and so I really I'm really enthusiastic about that as well, you know. And I I really echo your enthusiasm for this. So Jeremiah, one one last word, Uh, where uh, you know something uh, that you want to add, and I would also ask you to tell our listeners where they should catch up with your latest work.
0: Sure, Uh, my Twitter account is jow. Y-A-N-G, J-Au-Yang, my first initial and last name. And then I point to all the different things that I have uh, I'm publishing on multiple websites and other social accounts. Well, that was a great conversation.
1: Uh, I think uh, uh, we're going to uh, keep talking about this in the coming months uh, as uh, our podcast will continue. Uh, and we're going to integrate uh, your insights uh, in the research uh, so uh, really, it was, it, it's, it was great to, to really look into Thank you. what's
0: coming up. Very deep questions. Thank you both. I do have to run. I have another call to prepare for.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: That's it. Thanks very much for your time. Amazing to talk to you and uh, to our listeners. Uh, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to Boundless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoy the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you by our research sponsor, Intesa San Paulo, We want to also thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the
0: ad hoc music.